You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. No, he's listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. You stole my joke, I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Just because we're going over the best things of 2022 doesn't mean we need to include the time I ruined your intro. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be very well behaved. (laughs) First time for everything. Hello and welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Uh, It's a bit of a special episode because we are looking back all across 2022, so various podcasters will be dropping in at various points to tell us about their favourite Big Finish releases and other Doctor Who-y things they've enjoyed. Uh, But with me, I have Connor. Hello. And I have Jimmy. Hey. So, good to have you both on. Uh, It's been a pretty mega year for big finish um i was going to start off by asking you what the best month was but i'm not sure i could answer that um maybe this month maybe december actually but we're not talking too much about december because we've got a december episode next week in the meantime though um let's 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 crack on so the idea is we're going to talk about our favorite releases month by month um well, me and Connor are anyway, and then Jimmy's going to come in with a few, a few other strong releases, and like I say, other podcasters will be dropping in and out here and there. Uh, so, uh, as the year begins with January, so shall we. Um, so January, Connor, what was your favourite big finish release in January? Uh, the the further adventures of Charlie Pollard or Charlie Pollard the further adventurous, um, just so much fun to hear the Eighth Doctor and Charlie back together again. Um, I, we 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 did to the extent that I think we did a whole episode uh, based around that set at one point, but um, no, it's great. I, I had wanted them back together in something longer uh for a little while after they had done the end of the beginning at the start of 2021 and that wee episode just of the two of them they're only there for half an hour and then a wee bit in the you know the the second or the the final episode of that set but it felt like they had never been apart you know paul mcgann and india fisher just instantly found that old dynamic and that old chemistry again and and it was wonderful to hear um you know a revival for that early part of big finish um a really really strong little set of stories um possibly a contender for my favorite of the year i uh really enjoyed the fact that it went very specifically for the 
feel of those first four stories uh, that they did together as well. That first sort of series, uh, which was part of the main range, the monthly range. Um, and yeah, they were very much going for that, which I quite liked. And it, I, I've always said that the the second series of Eighth Doctor and Charlie Adventures is perhaps one of the strongest runs Big Finish have ever done. But I quite like the fact now that um, we've got four more stories to kind of let the characters breathe during those earlier days and all that kind of thing. Because once you get into the second series, it gets very storyline heavy very quickly. Um, you know, by Neverland, Neverland, you are really tied up in a sort of ongoing arc. Whereas the the first run and these stories, they're a little bit more disconnected and it's nicer just to spend time with the Eighth Doctor and Charlie before all hell broke loose. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you that it was uh, a, one of the best, well, the best release from January, certainly my favourite. Um, I'm going to do an honourable mention though and I'm going to honourably mention... Uh, Watchers, which was the audio novel that came out in January, uh, written by and starring Matthew Waterhouse. And it was a great little slice of season 18. It was a proper season 18 story. And I really did enjoy that one. Yes, I'm actually um, partway through that at the moment. Um, a bit of a latecomer to it, but I am enjoying it a lot. I really like... Um, Milady and her TARDIS. That's a really, really nice little creation there. Um, I think if I had to pick an honourable mention for January, I would go for Peladon. I, I really enjoyed it. I've only heard it once and I've been meaning to revisit it all year. But particularly that last episode with the Eighth Doctor, I remember just being blown away by. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And it was nice to have a set based around, you know, one setting and, and getting... You know, it almost flips the perspective on Doctor Who where you stick with the characters as they go around different places. You know, here we stick with one place as different characters, you know, from Doctor Who's history drop in on it. I really, really like that. Yeah, it was a it was a very good release. It was very, very enjoyable. Um and it, it, it was great to have so many characters sort of focused on that place and uh um I don't wanna don't wanna spoil too much, but uh, we we learn a little bit about Peladon in a recent War Doctor story. Um, so listen out for that. If you're listening to He Who Fights Monsters, uh, listen out for the, the Peladon reference. Um, let's, as the year did, move on to... I'm, gonna, I'm not going to make that joke every month. Uh, but yeah, as the year did, let's move on to February. Um, now, February was another sort of pretty strong and enjoyable month there was i actually really struggled to pick a favorite from this one i did settle on a particular release in the end but first of all let's hear yours connor uh, it would have to be the ninth doctor adventures old friends um because it captures it's it's three really really strong stories you have fond farewell which is brilliant and possibly the single strongest episode in that first series of Ninth Doctor Adventures. Um, and then you get Way of the Berryman and uh, the Fourth Generation as well, which capture the feel of that early, of, of that first Russell T. Davies era, you know, finale style really, really well. Um, you get 
what they do with the Cybermen almost feels a bit like what you know Series One did with the Daleks, where you have a damaged lone Cyberman who has survived in in um, Monsters in Metropolis and has sort of fallen through time, ended up in you know the wrong hands, as it were. Um, and then in the next, in the in the in the finale, we get the Cybermen back resurrected in a way. Um, it sort it sort of follows that template, but does it really really well to the extent that I don't think think it feels too obvious. Um, when you're actually listening to it, um, and it's 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 great to have the Brigadier there as well. You know, having the Brigadier meeting a new series Doctor, um, and it it feels quite appropriate that it's the ninth Doctor as well. So I I definitely would go for it uh yeah again i'm in complete agreement with you it was a phenomenal release it was i think it kind of followed the pattern of not just bad wolf and parting in the ways of you said but also boomtown that sort of slightly linked to the finale but not quite story beforehand so there's a lot of thematic stuff going on in there that kind of carries through you know, that theme of old friends, I guess. Um, it was an absolutely beautiful release, and I would. I was also really, really glad that Big Finish didn't uh, release the cover images. Uh, we got like the cover image for the set, but without a Cyberman on it beforehand, I think. But the individual episode cover images weren't released until the day of release. So it's, I think, the closest we've ever had. Uh, to a surprise appearance from a classic monster in Big Finish, or certainly the closest we've had this year. Um, Yeah, it was great to just sort of not find out that the Cybermen were in it till I was actually downloading it, and then all of a sudden that realisation of, oh, flipping heck, great. Um, We're getting a proper Cyberman two-parter, Ninth Doctor season finale. Uh, And it was written by Roy Gill, which is always sort of, a sign that what you're going to listen to is going to be uh, pretty exciting. Uh, so, yeah, what a brilliant release. Um, Jimmy, you've got a pick from February, haven't you? Yes, and it's the same one. It's the ninth Doctor Old Friends. I think it was such an amazing conclusion to that first season, if you will, of his return. And, I mean, the ninth Doctor is my favourite of the new series and it's just having him back has been so good in and of itself and then adding the Cybermen and the Brigadier to the mix is just such a brilliant, great idea. Um, I was worried at first uh, with the Cybermen being in it. I thought, oh, it's a bit soon after Monsters in Metropolis. Is it going to live up to that? And I think while I do prefer Monsters in Metropolis, this story was almost as brilliant. And the box set was great because also, as you mentioned, the story by David K. Barnes, The Fond Farewells, that was just brilliant. I mean, the the whole box set, of, you're expecting, oh, the Cybermen are coming up, the Brigadier's coming up, who cares about the rest? But no, he actually gave a really amazing episode there and some brilliant character stuff for the Doctor and for the guest cast. And I actually think I slightly prefer it to the Cybermen story, which no slight on the Cybermen story. I love that one too. But yeah, I think Fond Farewell was the highlight of the set for me. Um, yeah, it was just such an amazing release. And I think the only fault with it is that Coulshaw playing the Brigadier, he does sound a bit too young. He sounds like he's come out of the 70s, out of the John Pertwee era. But, I mean, 
that's something as he plays the older version of the Brigadier more, he'll presumably get better at. But it was the one tiny fault with an otherwise incredible release. And yeah, definitely the highlight of the month for me. Yeah, it's it was an incredibly strong release, and uh, all three episodes were, you know, really, really good. Sort of, you know, to use a cliche, ten out of tens. They were just fantastic. Uh, I am going to, while we're still in February, give an honourable mention to the Annihilators, which was the first ever and so far only season seven seven parter uh, from Big Finish. I really enjoyed it. It was a really good season seven style story. It's a very unique season, so it's good to see something in that style happen. Um, all of the regulars there were great. Coleshaw's Brigadier, and that was fantastic. I really enjoyed Daisy Ashford's Liz Shaw, and it was nice that we sort of got half a multi-doctor story out of it as well. Um, there wasn't much interaction between the third doctor and the sort of plucked out of time at the point of his regeneration second doctor um which i did feel was a bit of a shame but overall a very very good story a very strong script from nick briggs and great performances all round. thoroughly enjoyable release and we've been joined by greg to talk about some of his favorite big finish uh of the last year of 2022 so uh Greg, take it away. What what was your favorite story of the year? Well, my favorite story of the year is actually one that just uh, came out not too long ago. It's from the new War Master Escape from Reality set. It's The Adventure of the Deceased Doctor, um, which, of course, features uh, you know Richard Earle as, as uh, Dr. Watson in The Big Finish Sherlock Holmes range, except here, instead of Nick Briggs playing Sherlock Holmes, we start with Derek Jacobi's War Master playing Sherlock Holmes. And I think that's a fantastic hook for a story. And even though that on its own would be great for an hour, it goes about halfway through with that premise and then just spirals completely out of control into something just bizarre and dark and bleak and grim. Uh, Burn Gorman is in this. He's playing two different parts, and there's an actual in-story reason why there's one actor playing two different parts. There's a wonderful exploration of what is reality when it comes to fictional stories. You know, what is Sherlock Holmes? Are we just assuming that Sherlock Holmes is the Arthur Conan Doyle stories, or are there different Sherlock Holmeses based on their fictional presentations? And it also has one of the darkest endings I've ever heard to a big finished story across everything they've ever done. So um, it's not, uh, I don't want to make it sound like it's miserable. It's actually kind of fun, but the ending is definitely an eye opener. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. Love that story. I, um, I particularly liked liked being a funny word, I suppose, but I particularly liked what they did with uh, Sherlock Holmes in that one, the actual Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. Uh, very, very dark and very, very war master. Um, yes, and I'm honestly a little surprised they got away with that. <laughs> that was, whoo, okay. It does seem to be a a bit of a sort of subtle running thing, the master eating people. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's, I mean, it was hinted at in, I think, the end of time. Um, oh, no, it does. It happens in the end of no, time. No, it's pretty it? explicit in the end of time. Yeah, you're right. Yes, it is. It, it, but that was when he was Skeletor Master and 50% here, 50% not, and all that kind of thing. Right. At least um, there, there's a reason for it. Here, it's just sadistic. Yeah, but very, very, very mastery. I can, I can, I can totally yeah. sort of see him it's, as a character doing that. It's, it's possible that it's tongue in cheek because we never actually like see, you know, Sherlock Holmes being cooked. But he certainly doesn't sound like he's joking. No, absolutely not. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that he does. I'm going to say that it's not anecdotally. It's, it's absolutely real. He definitely eats Sherlock Holmes. Yep, I'm fine with that. So that was your favorite individual story. What about your favorite sort of overall set from the year? My favorite box set from the year is actually uh, the Eleventh Doctor Chronicles, the Geronimo set. Um, I haven't been all that interested in the Doctor Chronicles sets thus far. I mean, I, I really don't have an issue with listening to recasted Doctors if that's what it takes to to make these stories. But they've been very disposable, like not not bad certainly, but not not anything that really reaches out and grabs the attention. Whereas this one is actually setting out to start like a mini season arc with the 11th doctor. I think uh, Jake Dudman's uh, performance is probably the best he's been uh, doing his, his Matt Smith. Um, uh, Sophia Ingar is absolutely fantastic as the companion. Um, we, we have like three very good stories. The third one is probably the best. I really like the third one actually with its like time twisting structure and how it really puts both characters through the emotional ringer and, and, and lets us learn about, you know, this, this doctor and this companion, their relationship, um, their personalities. Like it, it's much more in depth than we've seen out of this range. And it's, it's not only a good three story set, it's setting up more. And I'm, genuinely excited to hear the next uh, releases in this range uh, whenever we get them. So yeah, this was a uh, this was my uh this is my favorite one of the year for sure. And I'm very much looking forward to the next set because yeah, it was very very enjoyable and it, it it finally feels as though the 11th Doctor has a direction at Big Finish which you know, the, the standalone stuff before it was nice, but it it was as you said, sort of a bit disposable. And um, it, it, to me, it's always felt like stories that could be told with any doctor and they've just happened to stick Matt Smith's face on the cover. Um, but yeah, with this, it's it's very, very 11th Doctor and it's, right. like I say, going in a direction. And I have enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm curious to see if they end up doing something similar with the 12th Doctor. I mean, there was a little bit of an overarching link in the last 12th Doctor Chronicle set, but it wasn't on the same level as this. We shall see what they have planned. And hopefully they'll be able to talk Capaldi into it one day. Oh, and absolutely. Smith, but, um, but no, it, yeah, I agree. A very, very enjoyable set and definitely a highlight of the last year. So uh, thanks for joining us for that. Thanks for sharing. Not a problem. Happy New Year. Okay, next up is March. Uh, March was a nice, I felt a nice varied month. I think we got quite a lot in March. Uh, we got Unit, we got 8th of March, we got 4th Doctor. Uh, we got a sort of relatively rare to the monthly range 
uh, Samuel Barnett story, Norton Folgate for Torchwood. Uh, we got Russell T Davies' original Doctor Who story, Mind of the Hodiac. It was a great month. Nice, nice and varied. Um, Connor, what would you say your favourite release from that month was? I would have to pick Mind of the Hodiac because it's it's a, it's in a strange position now because events since have slightly overtaken it. I remember at the time thinking, oh my God, this is amazing. Russell T Davies has come down from his gilded throne writing the likes of It's a Sin and Years and Years to write Doctor Who again. Um, and it's a Colin Baker story. Hurrah. And then, of course, everything that has happened since then has come out and, you know... I think that I think that was maybe when it was announced, and then it came out that he was going to come back and take over Doctor Who, this, the TV series again. So, yeah, it's an it's it's I, I like it a lot. It's a really nice novelty to have. Russell T Davies writing a classic era story with Colin Baker and and Bonnie Langford in the lead roles, um, and it's fantastic. It has an absolutely amazing cast as well. Um, you know, reading through, there's so many. You know, there's a oh, a lot of big names in there um and it's nice to hear Annette, ba- Annette Badland back in it as well um always love her turning up but the story itself is a strange one I think I think Russell T Davies had only written the first half and then the second half was picked up from um his storyline by Scott Hancock it's 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 a good story it I think you can tell it's flawed but I can't judge it for that because it's a lost story. It's it's a first draft. It's it's not even a first draft, um, you know, in, uh, as it was originally given to Big Finish. But I I just really love that it's there and that it exists. It's it's I think it's a very sort of significant piece of kind of lost Doctor Who history um, that's been on Earth. You know, we could have actually have had Russell T Davis write for Doctor Who nearly twenty years before he actually did um and it, it's nice that it exists and you can sort of you can tell from the script it's a very embryonic version of not just rose but um uh, damaged goods as well which has obviously been adapted by big finish since it came out as a book so it's kind of it's interesting to see that even in the 80s russell t davis had this kind of very Earth-based, you know, working-class family idea of what Doctor Who could be, and I'm glad that that did eventually sort of get to the screen. But I've experienced it in completely the wrong order. I, you know, experienced Rose first, then he experienced Damaged Goods, then he experienced Hodiac, and it's it's quite interesting to see how one has led to the other and back to another and all that kind of thing. Um. However, I am going to diverge from you slightly. It's the first time we've not agreed on a, on a release. Unacceptable. Uh, I know, terrible, isn't it? Um, but it's fine because I can edit all of your bit out and make it sound like mine's the definitive answer. So <laughs> it's all okay. Um, my choice is the Fourth Doctor box set solo. Um, two very, very excellent Tom Baker stories. Uh, both thoroughly enjoyable, Blood of the Time Lords and the Ravenclyff Witch. Um, I have to admit, though, I've picked it mainly based on Blood of the Time Lords, uh, which I just thought was excellent. We get a whole new and different way of looking at Gallifrey and Time Lords and 
all the usual. Uh, we, you know, it does have the master in it. It's set in a frankly bizarre location, you know, a sort of off Gallifrey Time Lord library thing. Um, the fourth Doctor is still in uh, Deadly Assassin mode, and I mean, you know, made no secret in the past that Deadly Assassin is my favourite Doctor Who ever. So it's it it very much feels like a continuation of that. It feels like the Deadly Assassin two, and I enjoy it almost as much as I enjoyed the Deadly Assassin. I think it's great. Also worth mentioning uh, the Ravencliff Witch as well. The other story from that set, really enjoyable stuff. Again, uh, we get our first listen to uh, Nevis Hughes as Margaret Hotwood, who we know is going to be. Uh, more of a companion or a companion even in the next fourth Doctor set. Um, yeah, it was just two really, really strong, really, really enjoyable fourth Doctor stories. And Tom Baker just will always be the Doctor. He, he just lives that role. He is that role. Um, and every time we get a new Tom Baker release at Big Finish, it always feels like a little bit of a treat. And I realise it's been more than 10 years since Tom Baker started doing Big Finish now, and we still have three years of Nest Cottage before that. But yeah, it's it, it, it was a really good lesson, really enjoyable. Um, so yeah, that would be my pick. Um, and when I've edited this, it'll be your pick as well, Connor. <laughs> well, well, I, I did enjoy it. Um, I, I think I, I, I've, I've redone the set since first listening. I don't think it was too keen on first listen. I, I often find when I go back to something with an expectation of what's actually in it, I get a lot more out of it than I do on first listen. Um, and I think that's the case with this one. I, I the, the, the first time I heard Blood of the Time Lords, I wasn't too struck. Second time, I got it. I knew what I was going into. I got it, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, and the Ravencliff Witch as well, I think I almost prefer it um, because I, I love Doctor Who... You know, to see Doctor Who on a windswept coastline is the best vibe. I love it so much. That is, if, if you know, you can give me something like this, you know, the Ravencliff Witch or Beachhead, and I will have the best time with it. Um, and uh, something it does as well is whenever a Doctor sort of returns to, you know, their present day. So for the fourth Doctor, it's the 1970s. I always like that because you almost end up getting what feels now like a wee bit of a period piece where you have these characters in the 1970s and that's their present. I, I really like that. Um, and that's the, something about this that, that has sort of stuck in my head um, that, that I enjoyed. I suppose the other thing is that by this stage in Tom Baker's run, where these stories are set, so we're looking at season 14, um, visiting the 1970s regularly was it was a thing of the past we'd had a lot of 70s or is it 80s earth um up to that point but then when we get to season 14 all of a sudden it's a lot more um space bound you know we get leela who's a not from earth companion the first not from earth companion for a long long time is it ever is leela the first non not from earth companion I think um, they said Brett Vian was born on Mars, so I assume Sarah Kingdom was too. So technically, we'll we'll go with that then. Yeah, but Leela's one of the first, um, and it, it just 
yeah, it, it, it all becomes very different. And suddenly a trip to Earth in that era is, is quite a rarity. Uh, sorry, yeah. but we're, we're, we're entirely forgetting Susan. Yes, yes we are. You've <laughs> <laughs> beaten on that from day one. <laughs> Leila's beaten on that from episode one. <laughs> I, I lose my first Doctor Fan card. She's a 30-second human on her great-grandmother's side. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not going to flow, is it? <laughs> Um, but yeah, th- th- this whole sort of contemporary 70s setting for the fourth doctor at this point in his life, it is quite rare and it's quite nice to sort of get the odd adventure there every now and again. Um, I think it works well. I do enjoy it. Um, I suppose the nearest thing to compare it to from that era would probably be Image of the Fendal, which is an excellent story. Um, but yeah, in terms of setting and spooky stuff going on, it's the nearest we have. And this is, I think, Ravencliff Witch is a particularly different kind of story. Um, so now that we've forgotten the Doctor's granddaughter and all that kind of thing, let's move on to a different month. Um, let's move on to April, which uh, I I enjoyed a lot. April, I thought we we got some really, really good releases from I suspect, though, Connor, you and I are going to be in complete agreement as to what the best release was. So, Connor, what was your favourite release from April? Um, it was Stranded 4. Um, and Stranded, I've only done through once. I think I've maybe done the first set, the first two sets through tw- two or three times. But the, as the series as a whole, I've only you know done one one run through, and it's something I'm planning to redo early next year. But Stranded 4, I think, is the highlight of them all. It pulls together all the different strands that had been present throughout. And I think I think Stranded maybe suffered from... Well, it definitely did suffer um, from, from being produced half in COVID, half out of COVID, you know, yeah. lockdowns. And there was stuff set up in the first set that they didn't get the chance to follow up on until set four. But this is where they do manage, you know, they have managed to get the likes of um, Mr. Bird back and finally follow up on him because that was a big thread left dangling from the first set that was that almost seemed to be forgotten about in the middle too. Um, we get Colin Baker as the curator, which works, I think, very, very well because he's very good at it. Um, and there's a few lovely moments. There's a little scene, I think it might be in the first episode in the set, where he tells a story at the same time the eighth doctor tells the same story and it's almost like this little call and response that the two doctors have over the years um you know with the eighth doctor you know in the past and the curator years you know count you know an uncountable time forward in his future and it's this little story getting told and it's cutting between colin baker and paul mcgann i loved that so much that was absolutely brilliant um I think it calls back to the hermit that the Doctor grew up knowing on Gallifrey um, and something that he and his, his mentor witnessed um, out in the in the, the deserts of Gallifrey. That, absolutely fantastic. And then you get to that last episode as well where 
after saying that they weren't going to acknowledge COVID, they do manage to work it in, and the doctor and his companions spend a year in lockdown. Um, and as you'll remember, we, you know, government in the in the, the, the government law in there, or the government guidelines or, or restrictions in the UK said you were allowed to go out for an hour's exercise every day. Um, my local park was closed, so I had to sort of take a walk out of town and into the countryside, you know, if I wanted to go anywhere that wasn't just houses or buildings and, you know, to try and get away from it all for a bit. And I went back out that same route while I listened to this. So it, it, it brought back an awful lot of memories um, that, you know, I'd almost forgotten about, even though it was such a short time ago and made it feel very present again. That I think was the way to listen to that story, but it was fantastic. I, I, I really want to do Stranded again soon all four sets in a row, one after the other, um, just to get the full benefit of it. But really, really strong ending to the series. Uh, I'm in complete agreement with you about Stranded 4. It, it was just an exceptional release. Um, Stranded was generally all the way through exceptional. And I think the one thing you can kind of pick on about the, the whole of the storyline led Eighth Doctor era, so from Dark Eyes up to Stranded, is... They've all ended really strongly. They've all had really strong sets. Like, you know, Dark Eyes 4 was brilliant. It managed to have uh, a complete, near enough completely standalone story at the start that was sort of, you know, entertaining and fun. And it still managed to sort of land Dark Eyes as a whole. Doom Coalition did the same. Uh, You know, we had a diversion episode in the middle of that that, maybe sort of slowed the pace down a bit, but ultimately it was a really satisfying ending. Ravenous, we had the brilliant madness of Day of the Master. Uh, what a great, over-the-top, proper sort of fan-pleasing story. And now we get to Stranded, which has always been a completely different piece to the other three. Um, and I really, I'm really glad they wrapped it up in three episodes and let us have that fourth one. And I thought it was, a lot of people have accused it of being nostalgic for COVID. And I I don't think it is at all. I think it serves as a reminder of all the stuff that went on during COVID and what we all endured. But the fact that some of the ensemble uh, cast characters that we've we've been with um, through these four sets, the fact that some of them kind of survived all of the universe-shattering events uh, previously, but then they do, you know, COVID gets them, that, you know, COVID uh, is what ultimately kills them. It's It was beautifully written, it was beautifully handled, and the way that the episode just jumps through the year, so we don't have these big emotional death scenes it's just this character's ill, and then next time we join them, this character's gone. Um, I thought it was really well done. I thought it really well kind of represented what all of us went through over such a strange year, couple of years. Um, yeah, I thought it was the perfect way to end that set. And indeed, the kind of era of the Eighth Doctor Adventures that really started in dark eyes uh yeah absolutely phenomenal release uh jimmy you've got an april pick haven't you yeah absolutely it's my favorite story of not just the month but of the whole year and you're all gonna see it coming 
It's the first Doctor, The Outlaws. I simply love that they've brought back and the first Doctor era with a recast at, at last that, for me, captures Hartnell so brilliantly. I mean, it's not perfect, but, I mean, it's his first two stories and so hopefully he's going to get even better. But I think he jumped in and really captured the character so well and I think it helped that the stories were so good. Um, Lauren Cornelius too as Dodo. I mean, we had her earlier in the early adventures, but finally getting a chance to sort of play Dodo against the Doctor and, well, not against, but with as in. Um, And, yeah, the two stories were great. The Outlaws was a brilliant pseudo-historical sort of almost time meddler sequel slash knockoff that really just captured that sort of style of the era so well. And then, of course, The Miniaturist was just such a brilliant, more experimental sort of thing where definitely the sort of, like they said in the early days, you had the future and the past and the sideways, and this exemplified sideways and gave a very modern take on it. And Annette Badland's guest-starring role as the miniaturist was just such a brilliant performance. And so, yeah, I absolutely loved the set. I can't wait for the next one and I hope there's a lot more to come. I thought it was a great set. I really enjoyed it, that first Doctor set. Um, it's it's good to see that the, the Doctor recast that Big Finish have done and now we've had four major Doctor recasts at this point and they're all working. They're all great. Um. So, yeah, I I did thoroughly enjoy that. Um, I do kind of worry that it's come at the cost of one of my favourite ranges, which was the early adventures, which I know the three of us are going to talk about in the not-too-distant future, um, in a future episode, that is. Uh, But honestly, as a replacement, if it keeps being this good, um, then I am quite happy. And I'm probably going to say something very similar when we get to talk about the second Doctor Box set as we continue along this. Um, So next up, we have May. Uh, May, I thought, was definitely a contender for strongest month of releases this year. I'm still going to put that question to you at the end. Um, But we had some very, very, very good stuff uh, in May. So, Connor, your favourite May release. I think I'm going to have to pick uh, the War Doctor Battlegrounds um, because I have so far really loved the John, you know, the Jonathan Carley series of, of of War Doctor stories, and this is a a very very strong showing for it. Um, you have um, the the Keeper of Light in there, which is uh, I'm just actually checking I've got the right month for this one, but you have the Keeper of Light in there, which is a lovely. It's a different thing for the War Doctor by putting him in a traditional Doctor Who story where he's not just so totally, you know, bogged down by all the misery of the war and and doesn't just so much have the weight of the world on his shoulders. And there's always been that wee bit of a thing with the War Doctor where he thinks he's, you know, this awful, terrible, you know, war criminal. But there's that little bit of spark of doctorish fun about him that was there with John Hurt and Jonathan Carley has carried it over into the the War Doctor Begins series, and it's that side that gets you know it's showing here, um, where he gets to call himself the Doctor for once. He gets a companion, and it's just a nice little what if scenario 
where we get a look into what of what it might have been like to have John Hurt playing an ordinary incarnation of the Doctor. I like that a lot. Um, and then the third set as well, or the third story in the set as well, um, works fantastically at giving us a slightly more like temporally focused story where it's not the Doctor being dropped into battle. There's a bit of time manipulation shenanigans going on in it that 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 is interesting it gives this really great hook you get because it's a time loop that all the characters inside are aware of and they all have to relive this same day of the daleks devastating their planet and there's a great scene where i can't remember it's the mayor of the town or a soldier takes a phone call from his family to say goodbye to them every single day it's heartbreaking um and that, that has stuck with me, even though I've only heard the story once. And I, I do struggle sometimes to remember some details of stories, you know, when I've only heard them once and I haven't heard them a couple of times. That one has stuck with me because it was it was such a fantastic image that could only really be done with something like the Time War. So, yeah, top marks for that. It was an absolutely excellent release. And while I have enjoyed the previous two uh, War Doctor sets, this one... I felt was the one where Carly really got the role where they started to realise what they actually wanted to do with this earlier incarnation of the War Doctor. And yeah, we got some very interesting stories. Uh, a lot of people accuse not just War Doctor, but Time War releases in general of kind of being World War Two in space. Uh, but here we're, we're really seeing something different. We're really seeing that conceptually it's far more than that and that we're, we're now really exploring that kind of territory i think with some of the gallifrey stuff we've had this year and uh the latest war dot set war dot begin set that came out this month i think we're really sort of moving into some interesting territory with not just the range but the concept um i am going to disagree with you though about what my favorite is because mine was Waterworlds, um, which featured uh, the Sixth Doctor, Mel, and introduced new companion Hebe. And uh, we got a really enjoyable set of stories with these characters. And I know that I'm not the only person that particularly enjoyed these. And for this next bit, I've been joined by Holly. Hello, Holly. Hello. So thank you for joining us for a 2022 of Spurious Morality. Um, so what what was your favourite release from Big Finish of the last year? Uh, well, I mean, there's a few. I didn't even listen to that many. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a good year. I would say, I mean, I think my favourite is Dimension Canon 2, but I have, I have already spoken about that in the monthly roundup, as you know. We've, we've talked about that quite a bit already, yes. Um, but yes. it was a very good release. It was great. And also, I've just been watching I Hate Susie 2, uh, which, just to reiterate, Billy Piper is amazing and we're so lucky that she's um, she's done so much Big Finish, I think. Yeah, absolutely. She's. Uh, it, it's always sort of good to read that Billy Piper is doing more Big Finish because you kind of wonder how on earth have we got, you know, Billy Piper and Catherine Tate as well and... Yeah. These are very big names that are doing these amazing niche audio dramas that we listen to. It's very true. Um, yeah, so that that would be my favourite. But right up there as runners-up, I reckon 
Waterworlds, you know, the first Six Doctor uh, and Mel and Hebe set. Oh, and absolutely. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just loved it. I thought as a companion introduction, it's got to be one of the best ones that Big Finish have done in ages. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, it's great that we've only had two sets with Hebe, but the character has has brought so much to the Sixth Doctor and has actually been fleshed out quite nicely as well. You know, six two-part stories, and we have a really, really sort of well-rounded character that it is just a joy to listen to. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. That's, I think that's what I love about it is that, like, every story, not literally every story, but the sets as a whole completely foreground her. Like, they're absolutely stories that have to feature her specifically. And she's so great. Like, yeah, like you say, she's um, she's really well-rounded. I like that she's kind of sarcastic and defensive and stubborn, but there's also there's also more to it than that. And, uh, yeah, it's just I just thought that first set was fantastic. So that would be right up there for me. Absolutely. And have you got another pick? I have one more pick. Uh, sorry. On, yes. Um, Back to Earth, you know, the Ninth Doctor set. Oh, yeah. A fantastic yeah. set. 100%. Um, uh, yeah. As a whole, I thought it was really good. Um, but my favourite from that has got to be Station to Station. I know you and Tom talked about it. Other Tom. One of the Toms. Uh, just, just normal Tom, not other Tom. Normal, Normal Tom. Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, other Tom, that's harsh. You said it, not me. <laughs> Normal Tom and other Tom. <laughs> yeah, great. Oh, dear. Impression um, Tom, as he should be known. Impression Tom and other Tom. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Um, but, yeah, uh, me and Tom both absolutely loved it to the point where we did have to do that bonus episode at the time. But, um, yeah, talk about it. Go for it. Yeah, I uh, I agreed with everything you guys said. Basically, I loved it. It was um it was properly atmospheric. Like it was it was genuinely creepy at times, which I don't find often with with uh, audio in general. Really, um uh, yeah, I loved the the pacing and the way that whole mystery was kind of slowly unfurled. It could have got dull, but it totally didn't. And um yeah, I just I thought it was all very very evocative and the whole fairy tale vibe, but also grounding it. In you know what Saffron was was dealing with, I thought was a really clever way of doing things. So yeah, and but the whole the set as a whole, as we said, like Old Lang Syne, it's all um, yeah, really strong. I thought. I think it definitely uh, stands as my favourite uh, Ninth Doctor series two set so far. We've got one left coming next year, but um, that we know uh, of that that we know. Thank yes, that <laughs> we know, know of. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, we uh, we'll see we'll see what happens there. But yeah, um, back to Earth was an excellent set, and Station to Station was an excellent episode. Uh, so thank you, Holly. Um, it's been good to podcast with you, and we shall do more next year. Goodbye now. I, I look forward to it. Goodbye. See ya. So we'll move on, and we will move on to June, uh, which. <laughs> was another month and another strong month even and i think it's another month that we've got different favorites on connor so you go first i'm gonna pick the war master uh, from this month so the war master has had two really strong showings this year um i think i would probably pick oh it's difficult i don't know that i could pick a favorite out of the two of them um but self-defense did something that Back back when Utopia went out, you get all of 30 seconds 
between David Tennant as the Doctor and Derek Jacobi as the Master when he is the Master. You know, there's no... He, he, for that story, he's mostly under the chameleon arch as Professor Yana. And we don't get a lot of him as the Master. And that always struck me as a huge... as a massive shame. What we get here is that... I don't want to say an error because it's not an error, but what we, what we get is that wrong being righted, um, as it were, and we get a whole box set leading up to and a whole episode then of the Tenth Doctor and the War Master, David Tennant, David Tennant and Derek Jacobi. It's, it's brilliant. It, it, it absolutely met my expectations. It's one I cannot wait to do again very soon. But... Uh, Strong stories. I remember really liking The Forest of Penitence, which is the first one. And uh, was it, I think it might have been Boundaries. It's, it's, it's Boundaries where they revisit the Skyman, isn't it? Um, and that world, um, which, you know, the, the War Master Only the Good is one of my all-time favourite sets. Skyman is an absolutely brilliant story. I like that we get to revisit it just this once. Even if it doesn't spend too much time there, we get Cole back as well. But the highlight is definitely the last line with David Tennant. Um, who, who, as the story goes on and realises that the Master is not as trapped as he seems and is possibly on the verge of winning, the Doctor gets this really... It's almost like a PTSD response in a way where he, he starts to absolutely panic because it's this master who is, to me anyway, a lot more dangerous than some of his other incarnations. I I, I can't sing the praises of the set high, highly enough. I, I really, really liked it. I agree with you that sort of the David Tennant meets the war master thing, it had to be done as soon as we knew that uh, Jacoby and Tennant were both sort of willing to do big finish as regularly as possible, really. Um, I think we'd all been crying for this one. We'd all been saying, yeah, it's got to happen. There's got to be a further meeting between those two. And I really like the way they've done it so that, uh, you know, Tenant, it, it's post um, Sound of Drums, Last of the Time Lords for Tenant. I, mean, I get the impression it's towards the end of his regeneration. Um so he already knows this master and he just has that few seconds with him already. I suppose it wouldn't have worked if it was before he'd recognised it. But yeah, it was it was great. Um, I'm going for another David Tennant uh, release uh, from this month, though, from June. I'm going with Out of Time, Wink, in which the Tenth Doctor and the Sixth Doctor... Uh, Battle the Weeping Angels, and I thought that it was by far the strongest of the three out of times. I mean, we did a we did an episode about it at the time, didn't we, Connor? We talked about it at the time and sort of discussed how much we enjoyed it. But what a great way to just bring two doctors together with a you know an enemy that okay maybe isn't quite on the same level as Daleks or Cybermen, but is pretty damn close. The Weeping Angels are. A fantastic creation and work exceptionally well on audio. You know, for a very, very visual enemy, um, it's quite impressive that they've translated to Big Finish so well. And I think this is perhaps their most effective use up until this point, anyway, because there's another Weeping Angel story that we're probably going to be discussing 
in the not too distant future. Uh, but yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed Wink. Yes, I liked it as well, and I, th- I think as as I possibly mentioned in that bonus that we did at the time, there's they do something at the very end that ties in, that that works really well no matter what way, way you look at it from. So, at the very end, the the TARDIS is trying to take the Doctor somewhere he doesn't want to go, and it's implied that that is the huge sphere that he doesn't want to go, and he he doesn't want to, you know, he he knows he's being drawn to face the consequences of his actions from the waters of Mars and he's trying to avoid it and it sort of puts the Masters four drum beats motif over the end as the TARDIS hurtles through the vortex and that works really well because that's obviously tying in with David Tennant's series but this was released a week before the War Master so at the time when you know we were listening to these as they were coming out this ends with a tease oh David Tennant's going to meet the Master you know there's a bit of build up and it's meant to be for the John Sim Master in the end of time. But it worked really well this year as well because it was building up to the War Master story as well. So I really, really appreciated that little aspect. Yeah, it tied in really, really nicely to uh, to that War Master uh, release. And yeah, it's in some ways, uh, June was definitely David Tennant's month, or the Tenth Doctor's month, anyway, uh, because of those two incredibly strong releases that do have that. When you look at it that way, that little time. Um, so we are halfway through the year, so we're going to leave it there for today. But there will be the second half of the year online in the definitely not too distant future, next few days. Um, so for now, I will say goodbye to Connor. Thank you. I'll say goodbye to Jimmy. See you later. I'll say a huge thank you to everyone else who's dropped in and joined us uh, for their little bits. And we shall continue through 2022 in the not too distant future. Goodbye now. Goodbye.